Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Two jewels of sunny California, USC and Stanford share a story tradition dating back to 1905. They don the same color the Pac-12's only private schools. They both quarrel with Notre Dame and have a St. Brown playing wide receiver. But Saturday night in the Coliseum, the Golden State foes each enter week two down a starting quarterback whose backup will rise to the occasion, which talented yet unproven defense will step up, and his childhood USC fan KJ Costello for sure not playing. It's the Trojans, it's the Cardinal, it's the unexpected beginning of the Keaton Slovis era. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes, we have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Claw up against the wall. Can't explain what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh, all right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 330, coming to you on Thursday, September 5th. We're going to preview the Trojans and the Stanford Cardinal coming to you on Saturday night in the Coliseum, give you our predictions, break down the game, answer your questions, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com, and our phone number is 213 373 1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are back in our normal setup. Uh, not in the studio. You are in the studio. I am not. I'm back in Arizona as part of this weird, a weird September, which I feel like I'm just yo yoing around like Western cities in the United States. I mean, you pretty much are. You're, you're, Arizona for a few days, back in LA for a few days, Arizona for a few days, back in LA for a few days, it's, then out to Utah for a few days, and it's, then it's gonna be back so in hectic. LA for a few days, and then, and then up to Seattle for a few days. Like yeah. September's going to be a little crazy. Yeah, basically living out of a suitcase, but that's fun because that's what happens when college football is back, especially USC, and early season USC football means an early season date with Stanford, just like always. Uh, in the game that uh, our, our pals over at uscfootball.com call the, the false positive game, the false positive matchup, what you learn in this game, does it mean anything? I don't know. That's kind of the question going forward, uh, but either way, it's going to be a fun matchup on Saturday and we're gonna really get to it in this episode yeah it's it's weird how I went into week one thinking like we're gonna know a lot more about this team and then came out of week one and I'm like I don't know anything more about this team and now I'm looking at week two thinking like 
Well, we're going to find out a lot more about this team. And I already can see myself on Sunday going like, I don't know, guys. So Yeah, I mean, it could be a battle of the backups. Uh, we know JT Daniels is out. We know Walker Little is out for Stanford. We don't know about KJ Costello yet. But, yeah, who knows? Who the hell knows? Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about it a little bit more uh, as we get into our game preview portion but a lot of stuff coming your way. Not only are we having this game preview uh, episode, but tomorrow on Friday goes up our Patreon Q&A over on Patreon. So much content uh, on Patreon. The just last couple of days alone, Alicia, you've put up three different episodes. Uh, some inside the scrums where you, you use audio from the, the scrums over at Howard Jones Field talking to players. Uh, and then you have your daily car casts. Also, the rewatch, which which dropped uh, on Sunday, breaking down U.S. or su- Sunday night, Monday morning, breaking down USC and Fresno State. There's gonna be another one of those uh, this Sunday night slash Monday morning, talking about Stanford. So much, so much stuff. Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Rand of Troy, where you can subscribe for as little as five fifty five a month, or for ten bucks, you can join our community, uh, the Rut Crew on Slack and talk to us all day long, as much as you want. Yeah, talk to us about shows, about food, about whatever it is that you feel like. Uh, we're always having conversations over there in the Slack, and that, uh, it's it's super fun to, to have the interactions that we have. But it's also super, super fun to put out, you know, a, a wide variety of episodes now. And, and the, you know, the inside the scrums, I think, are interesting because we're, we're getting to sort of examine what it is that players and coaches are saying a little bit more closely. And that's especially important now because we don't have uh, the ability to view practice anymore because they've, they've more or less shut down practice except for the last 20 minutes or sorry, the first 20 minutes. So we're depending a little bit more on what it is that players and coaches are saying. And so that's what we're sort of diving into uh, reading between the lines and interpreting everything that, that people are saying after games and after practices. So yeah, it's been it's been really good. There's a a lot of content there. There's a lot of uh there's a, a lot of minutes of, of content to listen to to fill your week uh, with USC stuff. Yeah, so much content. Patreon.com/slash Reign of Troy is where you can join us there. Uh, but so much stuff to get into in this episode. Let's do it. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. So let's kick off the news segment by talking about recruiting for a quick second. Yep, recruiting. Uh, the Trojans picked up a new commitment on Wednesday night in the form of three-star offensive lineman Caden Steven out of the state of Washington. He's the number 564 recruit in the 24-7 sports composite. Six foot five, 295 pounds. He's either the fifth or sixth offensive lineman in the class, depending on how you want to classify Kyle Jurgens. And kind of fits the mold of what USC's looking for. Uh, tall, three-star guys that uh, people will complain about on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, that, that's all I got. Yeah, I <laughs> I think that's all I got, too. Um, it, it, it's really just the, the quantity on that offensive line, I think, does matter. Obviously, you'd want some better quality uh, in terms of prospect. But as we always say, that... Just because someone is a three-star doesn't mean that they couldn't turn into 
a really solid player for you and you just have to develop these guys. If USC had a better track record of developing guys, then maybe everybody would be a bit more positive. But at the very least, he's got great size and uh, and you sort of hope that uh, that the wide net that they're casting in that position will at least reinforce that unit, which is, you know, you look at it in 2019 and USC is extremely thin on the offensive line. They did a really good job of recruiting the uh, in the trenches in the class of 2000. Uh, what would it be? 2016, 2017. Um, but they they really haven't reinforced enough since then. So you're coming into the season now and you really you don't have a really solid two deep there. And so bringing in a class of you know, five, maybe six offensive linemen. I'm I'm not really going to complain about it. I know that people will find ways to complain about it, but uh, I I do look at it and say there is value in that at the very least, and you'll see which one of these guys uh, is able to pan out. Yeah, we, we will see definitely indeed there. Uh, let's talk about other news. Outside of recruiting, Kyle Ford is back. Uh, an elite prospect at wide receiver that USC signed in this past class. He had been injured and not participating. He, you know, injured his ACL last year, tore his ACL last year as a high school senior at Orange Lutheran, cut his senior season short, and it took up until this time to get officially cleared because, you know, it's a nine to 12 month injury. Here we are 12 months later, uh, and he's finally getting back to being on the practice field. Yeah, and uh, and it's important to note we got a we got a question um, about the possibility of of Kyle Ford of seeing him in action this week, uh, and I think it's important to note that he has been cleared to practice on an individual level. He hasn't been cleared for teamwork. Now I don't know that we'll see him uh, just because we don't get access to to full practice, so I don't know if we'll know exactly when he is doing a full array of, of work in practice, but you first got a clear individual uh, to in order to, to be stepping towards that. So at the very least, he is on the way uh, to to being able to contribute. I said in the car cast, I think, after that came, that news came out that um, I half expect them to hold him off until the end of the season when they can maybe play him in the last four games and, and preserve his red shirt. Uh, so I, I that's what I sort of expect. I don't think we're going to see him until the last month of the season, but that'll give him a good amount of time to settle in, to learn the offense, to really get fully 100% good to go uh, with that knee. And that's that's the best thing for him. And that's the best thing for USC. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, they do have other guys that they can use in the receiving core because they didn't use them in week one. Uh, we didn't see Manu McClain. We didn't really see Drake London. Uh, there's there's bodies there that that SC can get involved. Uh, John Jackson the third for sure, um, Bayless Jones, all these guys who can definitely get more reps before Kyle Ford. So you might as well just nudge him along as the season goes on. Uh, other practice news: Andrew Voorhees didn't suit up on Tuesday. He's questionable for the Trojans on Saturday. Yeah, uh, Clay Hilton said that he would give us a an update on Andrew Voorhees' status later in the week. He, he was out there on Wednesday. It's just, again, it's one of those things where it didn't look like he was practicing in the team segments, but we also don't have a full picture of it. So maybe he did get some work in there and we just didn't get to catch it because, again, limited time that we get to see them out there. So uh, he's a guy who USC used extensively against Fresno State, even though he didn't start. He's a really valuable uh, sort of sixth man that they can throw in there that allows them to shift Jalen McKenzie over to right tackle if they need him. 
uh, and and having him is it would make the line stronger because as we talked about earlier, there isn't a lot of depth. So hopefully he's good to go. But at the very least, right now, I don't know that you can bank on it, especially because he last week he was dealing with his back. Now he's dealing with a foot. It's just uh, things seem to be piling up for. For Voorhees. Yeah, but the good, the good news for SC is that they have an offensive line of six. Uh, when you have Drew Richmond that you can put at right tackle and Jalen McKenzie and slide him over to right guard, it really helps out there uh, and makes things a little bit easier to deal with an injury, uh, especially um, to Andrew Voorhees because he's the guy who's been kind of trading in and out there uh, with Drew Richmond and and Jalen McKenzie. So so there's at least reinforcement on uh, on USC's behalf there. Uh, let's get into this game. Let's get into talking about Stanford here. The tr- the Stanford Cardinal coming off of a nine and four season last year, an interesting one. They started out red hot, won their first four games, uh, including a semi dominant seventeen to three win over USC up on the farm. They had that miraculous victory uh, up in Austin Stadium, but they were a team that was up and down. The defense kind of struggled. Not nearly the the Stanford the the swarming, uh, suffocating Stanford defense of yesteryear. That's kind of gone at this point, but it's still a defense that can that can cause problems. I mean, look at USC just scored three points last year. Uh, Northwestern just scored seven up in Palo Alto this past week. So it's an interesting group. Uh, they returned nine starters, um, but again, KJ Costello is the big question mark. Uh, he got, uh, he had a head injury, looks like a concussion, He's questionable on Saturday, and they're going to be without perhaps their best player on offense, Walker Little, a surefire first-rounder at left tackle. He's going to be gone until the middle of the year, so he's definitely not playing on Saturday. This is a Stanford team that has to replace so many guys, especially on offense. Yeah, Colby Parkinson's gone, but there's no J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, there's no Caden Smith, there's no Bryce Love, and yet they could potentially be without their best two players on offense. All things considered, that looks pretty good for USC just just in that snippet, doesn't it? Yeah, once again, USC's defense maybe gets a little bit lucky. I mean, we talked ahead of the Fresno State game, right, that USC's defense was maybe a little bit fortunate that they were going to face a Fresno State uh, offense that was replacing their key quarterback, that was replacing their entire receiving core that was replacing pretty much their whole offensive line. And again, you go into the Stanford game and if KJ Costello isn't playing and we know for sure that Walker Little isn't playing, that's the, that's a huge thing that Stanford is dealing with. And it, and it definitely changes the equation when you look at how USC matches up defensively, because I mean, going into this game, if KJ Costello were definitely going to play, and if, you know, Stanford still had J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Trenton Irwin and and Caden Smith, you'd be looking at USC's very uh, young secondary and wondering, man, how how dangerous is this going to be with USC in this matchup? Well, all of a sudden, you kind of cut Stanford off, off at the knees and you don't know how effective they're going to be. Uh, now, you know, Davis Mills is a former five-star prospect, a really, really top quality prospect out of coming out of high school who has been able to sit for the last couple of years and learn. So he may be able to come in and, and pick up and, and let the, the level not drop off too far. But he's also not KJ Costello. Uh, he's also, we, he doesn't have the experience that KJ Costello is. 
We don't know if he has that sort of playmaking prowess that KJ Costello has shown us that he has in the past. So you're, in theory, probably taking a step back there. And then you don't have the the really dangerous wide receiver options down downfield. You do have, you know, some like uh, Connor Weddington and and uh, and um, the the tight end uh, Cody Cody Parkinson are all really intriguing athletes who could still do damage uh, against you. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like Stanford has all of the elements that made their offense tick last year, and their offense in and of itself last year. Had some issues. I mean, you think about Stanford being 107th in rushing S&P Plus last year, even though they had Bryce Love. Like, that's that's weird. It's weird that Stanford basically transitioned to, okay, fine, we're just going to pass the ball a bunch of times. And that worked because they had Kedrick Costello and because they had J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Well, now you're taking both of those out of the equation and Stanford's left with, with what? I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a it's a weird weird situation because SC obviously is going to be with a backup quarterback in this game. Keaton Slovis making his first start because JT Daniels tore his ACL. So a battle of the backups is not really what you expected, uh, you know, a week ago. No, not at all. But th- this is where the interesting thing comes in, right? So Stanford, in the past, it's felt like Stanford's offense. You just reload the the players that Stanford brings in. But this past Stanford offense wasn't the same Stanford offense that you're used to seeing. Um, it, it wasn't the sort of power run offense that, that David Shaw has been, has been made famous for. It felt like the 2018 offense where it was effective was an offense of personnel. It was because you had KJ Costello, because you had JJ Arcega Whiteside. Right. Where you, where you look at, so you take those guys out of the, it's not a system that they're relying on. It's the playmakers that they're relying on. Where you flip it around and look at USC, and I'm not going to sit here and say that KJ, that, that uh, Keaton Slovis is going to be able to contend with Stanford's defense. I think it is a different equation, but at the very least, USC can come into this knowing that their offense is literally built around being a system, around plug and play. Uh, around just having the athletes and letting them go. So in a weird flipped kind of way, like USC might be in a better position having to replace their quarterback than Stanford because USC is replacing a quarterback who, like you've been saying all offseason, in theory, should just be sort of the point guard who just don't make any mistakes and you'll be fine, where Stanford is replacing star power at quarterback. And and like that would... if I was a Stanford person, I would be a little bit more worried about that, even though I think Stanford's offense probably has uh, – if if you were going to match up the secondaries, I think I would rather face USC secondary than Stanford secondary, but you, you still, s- sort of can still make those uh, those observations, I guess. Yeah, I mean, KJ Costello is the best Stanford quarterback since Andrew Luck, uh, certainly the best pro- prospect since Andrew Luck, and when you look at – all the guys that they've had that have just been okay, average, right? Like, uh, you just go back to uh, Nunez. Uh, Nunez didn't do anything. Ryan nope. Burns didn't do anything. Uh, Christ didn't do anything. Like, there's a lot of guys in that list, and I think it makes it easy to sit here and be like, I don't know if Davis Mills is scary for, for USC. Uh, that's that's unfair to Davis Mills because we just haven't seen him. He got thrown in 
uh, just like Keaton Slovis did in that game against Northwestern last week. So I don't think it's fair to completely judge him on that. But Stanford has had trouble uh, developing quarterbacks year in and year out. And so it's going to be an interesting situation when you look at that. And this was a, a team that you mentioned last year that was so pass happy. They were eighth in S&P Plus last year uh, for passing and 107th for rushing. You got to be able to run the football uh, if you're not going to have your starting quarterback in there, especially someone as dynamic as KJ Costello, if he's ultimately going to miss this game. And you look at the numbers last week, they didn't run the ball that great. Uh, they only averaged 3.4 yards per carry as a team. Cameron Scarlett himself had 4.4 yards per carry. If you can hold Stanford's leading rusher to 4.4 yards per carry, you're going to be feeling pretty good about yourself, I would think. Yeah, and that's the task for USC. And and this is the interesting thing that I've pointed out about the difference between facing Stanford and Fresno State is that, you know, talking to, to Chad Kay after, after practice on Wednesday, he was talking about how, you know, he felt really good about the run defense because for him, he's concerned with what's happening between the C, between the C gaps. And Ronnie Rivers didn't do any damage to, to USC that way. Yeah, they had the zone read and the outside scrambles and stuff give uh, give that Fresno State defense a, a spark. But in terms of the run game, the interior run game, Fresno State didn't have any joy. And if you're looking at Stanford, like they don't have a Bryce Love. So Cameron Scarlett is that more conventional runner who's going to have to be running between the tackles. And that might be, you could argue, where you, where the strength of USC's defense is, is, is the, the potential of stopping the run in between the tackles. Now, this will be more of a test than this past week. But as you pointed out, Cameron Scarlett, he, he had 22 carries for 97 yards. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not good either. Um, and, and Cameron Scarlett is, I think Cameron Scarlett reminds me a little bit of like said where, uh, in that, in that, like he's a good running back, but he's no Rojo, you know, he, he he's no Bryce Love. Right. He's no, uh, he's no Stephen Carr. Like his ceiling feels like, like it's a little bit lower, um, no offense to him, because I think he can be very effective and probably a little bit more uh, consistent, efficient than Bryce Love. But he's also not the kind of running back that you sort of circle and say, like, man, this guy is going to kill us if he gets, you know, put on a linebacker or anything like that, like Christian McCaffrey in the in the Pac-12 title game a couple of years ago. So in a weird way, again, the matchup feels like it might suit USC, but it comes down to USC having to prove that what we see from that interior line as far as potential can actually be reality because at times last year they really struggled with the with uh stopping run game with stopping the run game in this context so they will have to uh to to show that last week wasn't a fluke and that they really have made strides yeah i, w- I want to talk about the passing game a little bit more here uh we mentioned they have to replace uh Trent Irwin and uh JJ Ortega Whiteside and Caden Smith Connor Weddington is kind of the guy at wide receiver, along with Osiris St. Brown, Michael Wilson. Those are maybe new names for you, right? Like, we're, we're used to talking about these Stanford teams that have J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Trent Irwin as the wide receiver. So it's going to be a little bit of a new look there. Connor Weddington, I thought, had a nice game against Northwestern. Uh, seven catches for the Cardinal. Uh, that's kind of what you want out of him if, if you're Stanford. But uh, in, in terms of what the difference between what KJ Costello and, and Davis Mills did in, in that in that game last week, it was all efficiency. 
KJ Costello, 16 of 20, able to move the ball efficiently, 152 yards. He had a touchdown and a sack. Um, Davis Mills, 7 of 14, a little bit more erratic. I think that's what you expect from from your your backup kind of thrown in there. So, again, I I don't put too much stock in, in those numbers, but I think it shows you just how different um, things can be when you have KJ Costello versus your backup. Well, and this is the same equation we're looking at with Keaton Slovis, right? The right. difference between the quarterback for USC in the first half and the second half was noticeable. JT Daniels looked like he was in much better control of the offense. He made quicker decisions. Um, he looked more confident in the pocket and he, he just got the ball out, uh, and, and, and made that offense move. Keaton Slovis comes in and you can see the little stutter because it's his first time in there. And Davis Mills, for all, for all he's had two years of experience, he'd only played once before against UC Davis. Uh, the year before. So that was his debut. So again, this comes down to the difference between the two teams. Will Davis Mills, will the week of practice, knowing that he might be USC's star, he's, he's taking first team reps, I would presume, in practice, who will come along, who will come along further in that week? Davis Mills or Keaton Slovis? Davis Mills at least has the advantage of a couple of years in the system, but uh, that, you know, that doesn't always mean that doesn't always equal success. I mean, just a couple of years ago, we saw Max Brown, who had had four years in the system and he got out on the field and he was less effective than Sam Darnold, who had been there for you know a year. So it really comes down to how you react in real time, in real speed. And in that sense, they're on even playing field. But if Davis Mills reacts super well and just sort of comes out and with confidence and start slinging it, then USC is going to be in trouble. Uh, but there's also the other, the alternate uh, possibility where if USC is able to generate pressure, if USC is able to bring down the quarterback the way that they weren't able to do against Fresno State, then that's a quick way that you can get in the head of a uh, of a quarterback. On Thursday, by the time people are, are listening to this, uh, I think that I, I will have the article I've been working on for RandonTroy.com looking at USC's past backup quarterbacks. And that was one of the things that, um, I, you know, USC doesn't have a very good record with backups in there. And part of that is because backups are more easily rattled. Backups are are more easily affected by things like pressure and, and those things because they are just naturally more inexperienced. And there was one quote that I, that I talked about in the car cast on Wednesday about a Georgia Tech cornerback saying, you know, that they saw Max Wittick, he was rattled from the start and that they got in his head. And that's the thing that both of these defenses are going to be looking to try to do, get into the head of the quarterback. And it'll come down to who protects their quarterback the best, not just physically protects him from being sacked, but protects him mentally uh, from being rattled, from from losing his composure uh, in that backfield. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great way to put it. Who can be the most composed who can feel the most comfortable? Uh, if it is truly a battle of the backups, that will go a long way in, in telling. Uh, I do like Keaton Slovis from the perspective of I think he's got more weapons around him. Um, and if I had to pick one to be more successful, I think I'd go with Slovis because of that. But this is a USC defense that has you know, been challenged by Stanford before, but also kept Stanford at bay before. So I never know what the hell to think. Uh, I, I think that I think it's a it's a false positive to use our friends uh, word from USCfootball.com to say that anything is going to be totally conclusive here. 
Well, the thing I'm going to be most interested in is the matchup between USC's run defense and Stanford's run defense. I keep thinking back to last year. The thing I was most frustrated about watching that game, that miserable game last year, was especially on rewatch, counting the numbers in the box and seeing that Stanford was happy to to put a light box in there and and almost begged USC to run and USC did yeah. not accommodate them despite the fact that JT Daniels was in his second game as a, a college player uh despite the fact that Stanford was was shutting down USC's passing game USC refused to run the ball and when they did run the ball they had success in that game and they just refused to keep doing it so uh, you know I ta- choose not to run exactly that was the game that was I ch- they flat out chose not to run because at the time, I remember thinking, like, man, did Stanford just basically tell USC you are not going to run? And then on rewatch, I'm watching, going like, wait, they're that's a light. They're they're not stacking the box or anything like that. Like, what was going no. on here? And they were able so, to get pressure that way too. Yes, like, they got in a bunch. Uh, they got in JT Daniels' face a bunch. I mean, they knocked him out of the game for a drive because they were able to get pressure with just the three and four man rush. Yes. So this year. Will it be different? Because if I'm Stanford, I go into this game and think, man, I want Keaton Slovis to beat me. I don't want to give Stephen Car- – I don't want to give USC incentive to hand the ball off to Stephen Carr and Vivai Malapai. But at the same time, I would have thought that last year too. I would have thought that Stanford would have said, I want JT Daniels to beat me. And instead, Stanford understood that USC wasn't going to trust their run game. And so they didn't feel like they needed to uh, to, to even defend against that. So – this year, can USC run the ball? Will USC run the ball? According to Mike Jinks, according to USC's coaches, if Stanford opens the box up for them, they will they will accommodate them and say, okay, fine, we're going to run the ball. Will Stanford let them? Will USC be able to run the ball when they want to run the ball? All of these things are going to be the things that take pressure off of or put pressure on Keen Slovis. And the fact of the matter is that Stanford's, you know, Stanford's defense last year wasn't particularly great. I mean, they were 65th in S&P Plus uh, rushing defense. Um, they they were uh, 46th nationally, allowing 3.99 yards per carry. They were 45th nationally, allowing 146.08 yards per game. Like, this wasn't a Stanford defense that absolutely would shut down your run game. And they, they've lost their two starting tacklers in... Um, in uh, uh, Bobby Okariki and and Sean Barton, they're they're inside linebackers. So, you know, there's there's a, there's reason for USC to try and test the 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 middle of that Stanford defense, if Stanford gives them the the numbers incentive to do so. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I feel like the game could be won and lost there, depending on how USC chooses to deal with the run. If they're going to give it to you, take it. If not, don't get bogged down there, and you, you're going to have to throw it to set up the run because. That's what USC's offense is. And you have to be able to be comfortable with having Keaton Slovis throw the football because if not, the way this offense is set up, you're not going to be successful long term. I they were able to run the ball against, you know, Fresno State very effectively, but you can't rely on that with your backup quarterback on a week in and week out basis. You got to be able to do the same thing and run your offense. And that's what Graham Harrell has said, it's what Clay Hilton has said all week that the offense is going to be wide open. Playbook's going to be wide open. They're going to run it as intended, which then goes back to what is Stanford going to do? What's the box count going to be? What is any of that going to be? Um, and I, 
I go back to the idea of if you're Stanford, do you want to crowd the box? Do you want to force Keaton Slovis to to throw on you? Because where's their strength? I would say their strength is at corner. Their best player on defense, maybe the best player on the whole team, is Paulson Adebo. The dude is damn good. So do you want to put him on an island and, and let him make plays? Or do you want to give him strength and let him lead from the back? I don't know. I, I don't know what that decision is um, if, if you're Stanford. Yeah, and that's why I'm so intrigued. That's why I'm so intrigued about this coming matchup because I can see it going in in many different ways and and I don't I don't know what tactic defenses are going to take against this this USC USC offense because it's different. It's new and uh we're we're going to have to find out. We will indeed. Uh let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about over under stuff and then get into the matchup more with the mailbag. I will be right back. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, we go to the over under. Uh, I am winning. I have a three and three record after one week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Uh, And you are two and four. Uh, What's your first over under? All righty. My first over under is 0.5. That's rushing attempts for Marquis Stepp. So it was a big storyline coming out of the Fresno game that Marquis Stepp didn't get any carries, got a chance to talk to the coaches over this week, and they basically said that the plan was to to maybe get a couple opportunities for Stepp, but Mike Jinks has a philosophy. You ride the hot hand, and you go with the guys who are who are rolling, and what happened was Vi Malapai and, and Stephen Carr were absolutely rolling, so they got all the carries, they got all the reps. Uh, so... I'm curious, this week against Stanford, will it be the same case, or will Marquis Stepp get in the game? I'm tempted to say under, but I gotta take the over here. I have to imagine he'll get one carry in the first two games, right? I don't don't think that's unreasonable. I I get the point of why you didn't need him last week, if if you're Graham Harrell, if you're Mike Jenks. I get that 100%. Um... But I just feel like if anything, you're gonna find a way to get him one carry, even if it's forced. Yeah, I'm I'm also taking the over on this, but only because I just like I it would just be it it would be a real surprise if he didn't get anything going at any point in the first two weeks of the season. But at the same time, like my temptation like you would be to take the under because if Vi and Carr were rolling enough to to see all the action in week one then i like it might just be the same exact thing in week two i don't i don't know how it's going to work out right so i'm if taking the put, over there if you were to put the line at two and a half i'd take the under yeah yeah but it, it was more you know will he see a carry or not right uh my first over under is going to be 342.5 which is a weird number, but let me explain. That's uh, 342.5 yards of Stanford total offense. Uh, the reason I get to this is because the last three outings for Stanford's offense against uh, Clancy Pendergast's defense, they had 342 in 2017. They had 343 in the 2017 uh, Pac-12 championship game and 342 last year against USC. 
What gives? 342.5 total yards of offense for Stanford, over or under? That is a great stat pool there, Michael. Um, <laughs> oh, buddy. Okay, I'm going to take the over on this one, uh, even though that's against my better judgment because, as we've already talked about, Stanford's offense, who the heck knows what they're going to be doing. But at the same time, USC's defense looks like prone to giving up yards at the very least. So I think it'll be over. Uh, maybe not a ton over, but I think they'll be over 350. Ah, man. I, I'm going to agree because if nothing else, I think USC's offense is going to push the pace more and run more plays, which will mean more opportunities for Stanford as well, which would mean more yards. So I, I think yeah. the yards per play might be similar or even better for USC's defense, but I don't think that the total total yards... Um, will be under that 242.5. I put it over. They're going to get like 344 or 384, one of those. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the the trend says what? It's going to be 344 or 341. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Pretty much. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, What's your next over under? My next over under is 3.5 pass plays of 20 or more yards for Stanford. I asked this because last year Stanford averaged four pass plays of 20 or more yards per game. That was the top in the Pac-12. And they had four against Northwestern, which is right up their av- right up their average. And USC coincidentally gave up four to Fresno State in week one. So. Will Stanford maintain their average of four 20-plus yard pass plays per game, or will USC be able to cut out the big plays? All right, I like this one because I think it goes back to a point that I wanted to bring up. I think that we talked about what is USC going to do on offense and how is that dictated by how Stanford defends them. I think the opposite is also true here. I I think that depending on what USC's defense wants to do, either actually, no matter that, if I'm Stanford, I want to test USC secondary. That's where the youth is. That's where the guys you need to prove it is. Uh, that's where um, Chris Steele and ITS and Elijah Griffin and Greg Johnson, Chase Williams, all those guys who are young slash inexperienced slash more prone to making a breakdown reside. And so if I'm Stanford, absolutely I'm throwing the ball a lot in this game. I'm trying to move the ball that way because... You don't have a rushing attack that has the ability to beat USC on the edge. There is no Bryce Love on this roster. They don't have that ability like Fresno State did where they can scramble a quarterback like Jorge Reyna and beat you that way. You need to throw the ball on USC to beat them. And so give me the over because Stanford is going to want, or at least should want, to test USC secondary. Yeah, you're going to hate me for this, but I am also going to take the over on this one. Um, We're just going to agree because on today. I don't trust USC. Se- I trust USC secondary 70% of the time, but there will always be that handful of plays where it's just, right. they just get taken, get taken. So, yeah. And Un- that 75% of the time would be fine if you were able to set an edge and able yeah. to contain around the perimeter, which they didn't do against Fresno State. Yeah, exactly. So when you combine the 75% of the time that you feel confident in them, plus not being able to set an edge, it's worrisome. But again, I don't think the Stanford offense is going to be one uh, that's going to be able to attack that edge 
uh, with the Trojans, even though one thing Stanford has tended to do to beat USC of late uh, is with reverses. So, hey, look out for a Stanford reverse in this game. Maybe I should have put an over-under for that. Uh, my next one's going to be over-under 22.5 touches for Vivai Malapai. He had 23 carries in week one. Uh, I think he had, what, two catches on top of that? Uh, but 22.5, that's where I'm putting the number. Touches for Vivai Malapai. That's carries plus uh, receptions. Hmm. Okay. So I go back to, I think Stanford may load the box. So I think USC may run the ball less. And I also think that Stephen Carr might get a greater balance of the touches compared yep. to last time. And We're just going to agree on everything, aren't we? Yeah, pretty much. So I'm I'm going under on this. Uh, I would love to take the over. I would love to be wrong. But I, I think that the 23 carries that, that Vi got is probably on the high end of, of what he'll get all season. Yeah, I think it was a little inflated uh, with, A, how well they were running the ball, B, um, that they wanted to work Keaton Slovis in. I mean, three of those carries were on the first three snaps uh, that Keaton Slovis had in there. So so I think it's going to be uh, under that uh, for Vimel Pei. Maybe something like 18 or something like that uh, might be the magic number because, yeah, Carr is going to get more, and I think in general they're going to end up throwing the ball a little bit more because they'll have more confidence uh, in Keaton Slovis. Uh, let's go to your last over-under. What do you got? My last over-under is 2.5 sacks. That's that USC gets on Stanford. Stanford gave up 1.85 on average in 2018. They gave up one in week one. USC had three against Fresno State. But talking to every coach, talking to every player, they were like, man, we could have gotten like six, seven, or eight if they had just finished uh, the, the plays. So I don't know. It's a it's a sort of um, one of those situations where the strength of Stanford's uh, defense is to protect the quarterback, but they won't have Walker Little, so maybe it'll be more. I don't know. Two point five. This is an easy over for me. Give me the over. I wish I had that confidence. I really do. Yeah, I think if you're Stanford, you're going to want to throw the ball again, like I mentioned, even though you, you might have a backup quarterback, but not having Walker Little plus. How good USC was in terms of getting in the right place. And now they're going to be going after a quarterback who's not nearly as slippery as Jorge Reina. Hunter Eccles is not going to miss every time like last week. Uh, Christian Rector is not going to miss a couple times like last week. They're going to get him. I wish I had that confidence. I'm taking the under here. All right. Finally, we, we have some disagreement. Finally, here. I know, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, my last over-under is over-under 3.5 receptions for Stanford tight end Colby Parkinson. He had two against USC last year. He averaged 2.4 per game last season. He had four against Northwestern. Uh, so that seems like the, the line 3.5 is a little bit interesting there, but he's only eclipsed that three times. But now he's the main guy, and there's no longer Caden Smith around. There's no longer J.J. Arcega-Whiteside to be a red zone target. You could potentially make the case that Colby Parkinson is their most dangerous uh, pass catcher. 3.5? More? Less than that? Over? Under? What do you got? Huh. Huh. <laughs> I, uh... I, I get... I just, uh, this feels so... I don't know. 
I think I'm gonna, uh, I think I'm gonna go over. I'm gonna go over, and I don't know why. That's my instinct. I just, I just, it's just, it's just over. I don't know. I, hmm. I've talked myself into both sides. <laughs> I think that if you're Stanford, you probably want to test your wide receivers in this case because, again, the the corners and the safeties are a little bit more unproven than, say, USC's linebackers who, who might be covering Colby Parkinson. Even still, four seems pretty easy for, uh, for, for Parkinson to get that, and I think that you want to rely on your tight end uh, if you're a backup quarterback if David Smills ultimately does start. So give me the over. I'll cancel it out for you. Well, I, I took the over, so... Yeah, we'll, we'll both take the over. Uh, so, you can't, oh, gotcha. gotcha. Of, so of the six over-unders over that we have, we agree, we're taking the same thing in five of them. Not very interesting, but it's good because we got L.A. Fred here uh, who sent us three more over-unders to play this week. First one, 43.5. A 43.5-yard a punting average for Ben Griffiths over or under. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you remember, Lisa, but he averaged thirty-seven yards last week. Oh Lord. Um, hmm. Okay, so John Baxter said this week that that uh, he was happy with him because they fair caught everyone and there wasn't a return. But he also said there was sort of more in the tank there, and that um, it was his first game ever, and so it's you know not all that surprising that. He wasn't getting a real hold of everything. But at the same time, like, I'm thinking about it and thinking, like, if John Baxter isn't, like, telling him to go rip it, then maybe he won't get up above that average. Uh, <laughs> My God, Ben Griffiths. I know. I want to believe. I want to believe. I want to believe, so I'm taking the over. I want to believe. <sighs> I was hoping you'd take the under because I want the over. Jeez, Michael. I know, I know. This is this very is uncompetitive very, right now. This is very uncompetitive. It's very bad radio. It's it's not good. Not good <laughs> podcasting. Uh, let's go to LA Fred's second one. One and a half penalties on special teams over or under. I will take the under on this because I think Dang there's it. a very good chance that they're going to get one penalty, but the likelihood of one versus two is 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 pretty large for me. So are you going under two? I was going to take the under. Give me the over then. Give me the over. <laughs> Don't chase the points, buddy. Don't chase the points. I I know. I know. I just feel like one is the right answer there. I see we'll yeah. get one. I don't know that they'll get two, but yeah. for the sake of good radio, give me two. Uh, the last one from LA Fred, 30 and a half pass attempts by Keaton Slovis over or under. Hmm. So this is tough because on the one hand, I think that the passing that USC will do a lot of passing in this game. On the other hand, Stanford is like a it's still a ball control offense. They're still going to want to have time of possession and maybe shrink the number of 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 plays that USC runs in general, but at the same time, like JT Daniels had 34 pass attempts and a half, so I'm going over. So here's the interesting little fact about USC pass attempts. Uh, when SC has attempted fewer than 30 pass attempts in recent years, USC beats Stanford. When they go over, they lose. Well, then I guess it works out that I'm picking USC to lose this game. Spoiler alert. Uh, yep. give, 
give give me the over also. Wow. Wow. I, I just think SC's gonna gonna wanna run more plays. I don't think thirty is extreme. Yeah, yeah. We're talking seven and a half, seven and a half a half. Like I don't think I mean seven and a half a quarter, I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's extreme by any measure. I, I think that that's that should be a reasonable over for USA because if you're SC, you want to run 75, 80, 80 plays in this game. I mean, ideally 90, right? But you want to run 80 plays. If you run 80 plays, they're going to throw the ball more than 30 times. Yeah, well, and I, I think JT probably would have gotten in the area of 45 attempts if he had played the whole game. And that's assuming that they're the fourth quarter isn't super competitive and USC is still running out the clock. So, right. uh, yeah, I think I think Keaton will at least get 30. Yeah, last year SC attempted 36 against the Cardinal. So, yep. I, I think it'll be in that range a little bit this time around, too. Uh, let's get to our uh, run index. If USC holds Stanford to X amount of points, USC will win. What is that number? Do you have any thoughts on this, Michael? Because I genuinely don't know. I I yeah. am at the a answer loss. is sixteen. Sixteen. Well, if, if they had done that last year, they still would have lost. <laughs> yeah, but I think the USC should be expected to score at least seventeen points. Okay. I don't think that's unreasonable to expect the SC to score seventeen points. So I think. The number is 16. If USC holds Stanford to 16 points, USC will win the game. Yes, I can get behind that. Let's flip it around. If USC scores blank, they will win. What is that number? Uh, uh, is, is KJ Costello playing or not? <laughs> I don't know. We don't know. Um, uh, is it okay can i just go with something simple and say that if usc scores four touchdowns four offensive touchdowns they will win is it as simple think, as just saying 28 points i think that's fair 28 points because of four offensive touchdowns yes yeah i think if sc scores four offensive touchdowns they win the game too i would agree with that we can we can get a little quirky with it and, and do that. I was going to say thirty two points. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that that might be a little high, as far as like having to get above thirty. I don't know that you have to score more than thirty against Stanford. I don't think so. You you, you do either, but I think that if you definitely score thirty two, well, yeah, win but then the, game. the the rod index could be you know score fifty every. You're gonna win every game. You sure, know? but but so, I think that 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 is I think thirty two is is. If you score thirty two, you're gonna win the game. I'm, I'm if you just, score thirty one, I think there's a there's a possibility that Stanford scores thirty one. I can't see Stanford scoring more than thirty one points in this game. I'm just at the point where uh USC too often is limited to three offensive touchdowns and I I'm really done with it. I'm really tired of it. So I will be happy with four offensive touchdowns, and I think that will be enough to win the game. All right, that's more than reasonable. Let's get to game predictions here. Uh, Bill Connolly has USC winning 27-23 with a 4.2-point margin of victory. Vegas has SC by a single point, which means since SC is at home, that's what, Stanford by two on a neutral field? Uh, Yes, I believe 
that math is correct. So what's your score? All right, I'm going Stanford 21, USC 19. Don't ask me how they get there. Stanford's 21 come on three big plays, though. Huh, okay. So it's going to be similar to, what, 2016, where Stanford scores 27 points, and it's it's a reverse. It's a 58-yard run by, yeah. uh, by McCaffrey. Yeah. Okay, I could see that. I could definitely see that. Here's what I'll say, what I've been wanting to say all episode. There's no way in hell I see should lose this game. <laughs> oh, Lord. There, I'm telling you, there is no reason to predict USC to lose. Except if, that USC is USC. Well, well, yeah. Well, that's the big caveat, right? If, you know, just based on everything, right? We're, we're talking about a Stanford team without their best offensive lineman. A Stanford team that has to replace a million playmakers on offense. A Stanford team that potentially could be without their Heisman candidate quarterback, KJ Costello. More than likely without their Heisman candidate quarterback, KJ Costello. Uh, an offense that kind of relies on its playmakers to make plays and they don't have playmakers i trust there is no reason to predict stanford will win this game stanford's defense has not been good uh they were you know in the hundreds in several categories last year they were in the hundreds in several categories in the running game i like stanford as a team i think stanford by the end of the year will be pretty good that is if walker little is at left tackle and kj costello is at quarterback we don't know that going into this game. KJ Costello is probably not going to play. I'm just assuming he's not going to play. We don't know for sure. Walker Little is definitely out. Again, no reason to pick Stanford here. USC has an offense that should be able to move the ball against Stanford. However, here's the caveat. USC is USC. USC allows games like last week's game where they have a 31 to 13 lead and then all of a sudden allow Fresno State to whittle away at it. Uh, SC is with the backup quarterback. And while you, well, I'd like to sit here and say that Keaton Slovis is, is just going to fit into the system and, you know, the quarterback doesn't matter and all that stuff. We don't know that 100%. That isn't a, a for sure thing. That That's my assumption. That's my prognostication. And who the hell am I? So you literally, you literally just contradicted yourself by saying there's no reason to, to pick. Uh, Stanford no, I, in this game, except that there are a lot of reasons to pick Stanford in this game. We don't know what Keaton Slovis is gonna is gonna do. We don't know what Davis Mills is gonna do. We don't know how Paulson Debo is gonna fare against USC's wide receivers. We don't sure. know how USC secondary is gonna fare against uh, uh Connor Weddington and and all those guys. We 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 don't know enough about either of these teams. All I do know is that every time I bet against David Shaw, I get burned. So I'm not gonna bet against David Shaw. That's that's the only thing I keep coming back to. The only reason for me to pick Stanford is one of two things. One, every time you pick against them, they make you feel dumb. And number two, uh, this is an SC team who kind of just, you know, uh, doesn't cover the spread and doesn't do any of that stuff. <sighs> but I'm a dumbass. <laughs> I'm stupid. I yep. get it. SC by 11, 31, 20. Yeah. Good luck with that. I I know, I know, I know. This game was in November, it's a different story, but that's what I got. Anyways, uh, let's get to the mailbag, we'll be right back and hear what you guys have to say. You've got mail. Alright, let's open up the mailbag and go to a voicemail we got from Tyler. Hey guys, it's Tyler from Austin, um, long-time listener of the show, first time calling in. I just want to say I'm actually not any more or less concerned about the team than I was before that Fresno State game. 
I think it's honestly just kind of been more of the same year after year after year after year where USC goes on the field and a team that shouldn't even be on the same field as USC goes in and does not look scared at all. Even when USC went up on a, what was it, 14 to 3, that team still looked super confident. They didn't look like they were scared of the athletes on the other side of the ball. And it didn't look like USC was able to just out athlete even a Fresno State. Um, so I think my questions are one, we have what seem to be elite wide receivers. We seem to have a lot of them. But it didn't seem like more than three wide receivers even ran a route during that Fresno State game. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Do you think Graham Harrell will get more receivers involved over the course of the year? Will we see better rotations there? Um, and then how do we fix, especially in the trenches, the the fact that even though we have talented guys, it doesn't seem like we have guys that have NFL bodies um, like we used to have that can just dominate other people um, just by their sheer size and athleticism. That's my call. Fight on. And thanks for the podcast, guys. Thanks for the call, Tyler. Good to hear from you. Uh, I think it's a great call. I think the in terms of the wide receivers, this has been something that you know was talked about a lot on Tuesday. Uh, in the scrums after practice, really Graham Harrell said that they kind of trusted the, the wide receivers too much to police themselves. Uh, they were they were going to tap their helmet and come out when they were tired, but the, the pace of the game was slower than what USC was running in practice, and so the wide receivers never got tired, and the result was there was no rotation in the wide receiver court. So you never really saw Bayless Jones out there. You never really saw Drake London, Munir McLean, all those guys, you just saw the same old elite dudes that you know of that uh, that Tyler mentioned, right? Like you saw Amon Ross St. Brown, you saw Michael Pittman, you saw Tyler Vaughn's over and over and over and over and over again. Those guys are great. Those are the guys that you want to target a bunch. You also want to see everyone else in there because Graham Harrell has said that you want to get eight wide receivers in there. So he said that they're going to be a little bit more diligent in kind of forcing the rotation a little bit and not just strictly rely on the players to police themselves. So I would expect that to get better, but I will be interested to see what it looks like in week two. Yeah, my I, I agree with all of that. The, the thing I wonder is, is it a bad thing if your receivers are so conditioned, so well conditioned, that they don't need to come out of a game? When the tempo if is, if that's as truly was. the reason, like then no, did, that's, that's a good problem to have. Did USC's receivers look gassed to you at any point? Like to me, they didn't. No. So no. in a game like that where you are running the ball a lot, where the tempo isn't up tempo, and and where you're not just sort of like running guys ragged, then I don't really have a problem with not getting more guys involved. But I think Graham Harrell would probably tell you, you know, the next game comes around and we're going tempo and all of that kind of stuff. Then, yeah, you do need to make sure that you have fresh bodies in there. That was something that Clancy Pendergast talked about on Wednesday, that he was really pleased with the way that they were able to get fresh bodies in on the defensive line the way that they did. Um, so it just sort of like, I guess, context sort of fits into it. It would would be my answer to that. Um, because 
honestly, if you could get if you could get eighty plays out of Pittman, Vaughn's and and Almond Ross and Brown without losing any sharpness from them, then I don't. I mean, okay, I I like Devin Williams, I like Valus Jones, I like Maneer McLean and Drake London, but like, I don't think I need to see them over those other three guys. Right. Yeah, and so that's why I said it's a good problem to have, if anything. Um, still, you want to be able to see those guys just because you want to see what they can bring, um, just out of sheer curiosity, if anything, right? So, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that changes. Uh, yeah, because you, you don't want to take your, your, your big guns off the field, but like Graham Harrell said, if you're getting, if you're those, you don't want those guys getting 80, 80 snaps every game. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to make it through to the whole the whole season, especially with the pace that USC ultimately wants to run in terms of plays. Uh, Tyler's second question was about the trenches and how USC fixes that area. Recruiting, recruiting and development. I mean, in, yeah, in theory, I w- I would say there's no. Is there a recruiting problem on the defensive line? No, that was going. That was going to be what I was going to say. Is that in theory, so. in theory, Marlon Tupelo, J J Tufele, those are potential NFL guys. Brandon Peely certainly has the athleticism to get there. So it's really just about continuing to develop the guys. That, even USC's offensive line, it's not like USC's offensive line is devoid of NFL talent if you can develop well, them. Yeah, Marlon Tupelotu is the number one defensive tackle on the West Coast. Jay Tufele was the number one defensive tackle on the West Coast. So it's or about development. number two, right? Like, they're, they're right there. Those are what you wanted. Yeah. So it, it's it's just a matter of ultimately being able to get the most out of them. And you look at last week, it was being able to make every play that you're close to. And you would hope that they get better. Uh, they ultimately um, improved on the offensive side of things, but you just need to see more consistency from them. Even though, again, it's weird saying the offensive line was great when they had one big breakdown that cost them the quarterback for the season. Yeah, but, but the, the quarterback also line- cost himself this season too. In that context. Sure. A lot of things were at play there, yeah. for sure. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from a Rotbot in the Valley. Hey, guys. Great breakdown of Game 1. Excited about Game 2 coming up. I uh, haven't heard about Sears. Any chance of getting him out of the transfer portal now that JT's out for the year? Otherwise, what are we going to do? We're going to have two quarterbacks? That doesn't look like a great idea. So just curious what's going on there, if uh, any chance of that happening. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks for the call. No, I think that if Jack Sears was coming back, it would have happened this week. Yeah. And hmm, how do I phrase this? When you see how Matt Fink has handled this and you know that Matt Fink is possible that he will leave at the end of the season, but he's going to stick it out and stay with the team and go through the year the way that Max Brown did. Like Jack Sears had the opportunity to stick with the team and give himself the chance to stay with the team and he chose not to. So I, if I'm USC, I, I don't know if I am going out of my way to bring Jack Sears back either. Cause he was certainly given the opportunity. He was certainly given the chance. So the, like, I just, I just don't think this changes the equation. You're still two injuries away from disaster. And if you get down to the walk on quarterbacks, then <laughs> you have other stuff going on. Yeah, we'll we'll get to more of that later. We got an email about that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm fully on board with everything you're saying there. Uh, let's go to a tweet we got from King Camby. 
Well, the Trojans get at least 25 minutes of possession. Stanford loves to grind the clock. Yeah, this one will be interesting because I don't think USC cares too much about possession, even though USC in theory could put together a lot of long drives because they're throwing the ball short and dinking and dunking. So I, I, it's hard to say, though, because I don't think we have a good sense of what USC's offense looks like in terms of time of possession under this new regime. And like we've talked about, we don't actually know what Stanford's, Stanford's offense is going to look like this year because there are so many unknowns. Yeah, Stanford only last year only averaged 30 minutes and four seconds, which is pretty 50-50. So um, I, I think it's worth mentioning again that Stanford's offense is not what Stanford's offense was four years ago, five years ago. Uh, their defense is not what Stanford's offense was four or five years ago, too. This is a completely different team, a completely different style of team, at least in how they play. I think that what they want to do is the same. I think of what they actually do uh, is just a little bit different. So I don't necessarily think that I don't think 25 minutes is a hurdle for USC to get to uh, in, in any sense here. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Travis. I'd expect Stanford to try and take away the short passes and force Keaton to throw it deep. Does Slovis have the arm talent to take advantage? I would think so. That pass to Tyler Vaughn's like, you didn't need a blue chew for that. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't need that in my life right now. Um, the Yes, yes. Uh, exhibit A, see that pass to Tyler Vaughn's. We saw Keaton Slovis make that kind of throw many times during the spring during spring and fall camp. So, yes, uh, Graham Harrell has said he can make throws a lot of guys can't make, and we've seen that. Yep. Let's go to a tweet we got from Jacob. Will the offensive game plan be uh, a little more run-heavy this week, considering it'll be Keaton's first start, or Helton let him air it out uh, with a deep and talented wide receiver core? According to everything the coaches are saying, he's going to have the the keys to do everything. Yeah, and... and of, of course, you got to see that in the game, right? Right. And and the thing I keep going back to is this offense will be dictated by what Stanford shows USC defensive, defensively. So that will play a big role. Yeah, 100%. Let's get a tweet from Alex. As Flovis is terrible, which I don't think he will or want him to be, can we start the countdown clock? I assume this is about Clay Helton. Um, I mean, Slovis could be really good and USC could still lose. And at which point you're starting the countdown clock so yeah i yeah I, I think in theory for sure um i think the other thing is the stanford game has been that false positive uh situation so i i, I don't know I, I think it still matters what happens against utah what happens against washington going into the bye week more than anything uh let's go to a facebook message we got from ryan hey guys first off can't tell you how much i love listening to you two my first question is, do you think JT's injury will affect Bryce Young's recruitment? And next, after week one, who do you think is the best in the Pac-12? Thanks for your patience and time you put in towards the seasons of heartbreak. Ryan, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. I think the biggest thing that will affect Bryce Young's recruitment is whether or not USC's coaching staff is intact come the end of the season. Um, he, yeah, he, he might, staff, he might be looking uh, at, at JT coming back for an extra year, but, but at the same time, he could also look at it and say, JT's coming off an ACL injury and I can win that battle before he even gets back. So uh, I think it's more about right. who is the, 
who's the head coach at USC more, more so than anything going on with JT. What is the offensive system? A, who are the, who's the coach? B, how good is USC as a program? C, how good does Keaton Slovis look? If Keaton Slovis, you know, wins the Heisman Trophy, that's a different <laughs> situation than if Keaton Slovis is mediocre, Pedestrian, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, all these things factor in. I, I wouldn't overthink it. Um, I, I think that SC would still be in the driver's seat there. Um, I, I also go back to, uh, what our friend, uh, Ryan Abraham has always said of, you know, guys who are good at anything, coaches, players, they have the mindset that they're going to be that good enough to still win the competition. So I, I can't imagine a five-star quarterback being scared off by Keaton Slovis sight unseen as things stand now. Uh, I would I would have agreed with that before the transfer portal showed us that there's a lot of five star quarterbacks who are scared off by a lot of things once they enroll and lose a battle for sure yeah, yeah. and right now though we need to see what Keaton Slovis has so but let's get to Ryan's second part of the question uh, who do you think is the best team in the Pac-12 uh, <laughs> pass <laughs> I don't know I don't know I think U- it's Utah I think it's Washington and Utah. Yeah, Washington and Utah, but are, I don't, I don't want to judge Washington for beating like Eastern Washington or whoever they be. Like, I'd rather they play Eastern Washington than Liberty. Yeah, yeah, but I, so I just, I just, I, I, give them I just don't know. I don't think we learned enough in week one. Uh, I think yeah. Utah, well, we Utah had the best. Utah had the best win. Like you, Utah had the most impressive win, and even that win wasn't, <laughs> wasn't super, super duper. Like, yeah, Utah's got it. Right. Washington looked the most impressive, but it was an FCS team. Utah had the most impressive win. Let's go to an email we got from John in Oakland. Hi, Alicia and Michael. Great meetup last Friday. I really enjoyed chatting with you and the other Trojan fans, especially hearing your insights into the coaching staff. Awesome. Thank you. We we had a great time meeting you. Uh, John continues, I was at the game Saturday night, and while I was not blown away with the, quote, renovated USC football team, I was still thankful for the win. However, the car cast was a bit one-sided with its negativity, specifically the review of the second half. It was almost as if you didn't realize that USC lost its starting quarterback in the first half and had to put in a real freshman backup. Going in with the untested freshman and getting him acclimated to live, quote, live bullets obviously had an impact on the game plan. That said, I remember when Alicia indicated at the meetup that Offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach Graham Harrell really liked Slovis and preferred him to both Fink and Sears. Helton, on the other hand, has much more experience with the two veterans and how they performed in real games last year. So if Slovis stays as the new starting quarterback, is this a clear definitive sign that Helton is hands off on the offense and letting Harrell call the shots? In other words, can we stop blaming Helton for every single thing that happens on the team. Can I blame Coach Helton for this? Yeah, I don't know. That's what John's asking. Uh, thanks again for your coverage of the Trojans. Fight on, John in Oakland. Yeah, great email, John. Um, I fully admit, like, the car cast was very emotional uh, in terms of the response to the game, and it had a lot more to do with just the overall sameness of the game than anything specific. If it, You know, the my rewatch definitely got into more specifics about what was good and what was bad in that game. It was really just... A reaction I think to, it would have been different if it wasn't exactly a 14-0 lead. Exa- that's exactly what I'm getting at. Exactly what I'm getting at. Um, as for Slovis, I, I'm fully on board with John with, with John's general point, which is that 
we don't have to assume that Clay Helton is pulling all the strings and like manipulating everything and and has this like dastardly plan in the background that he's not letting anybody do their jobs. Like, I don't think that's what's happening. I think Clay Hilton has handed over the keys to this offense to Graham Harrell and Graham Harrell is doing his thing. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that uh, what happens with Slovis will be the proof of that because once they named him the number two, you can't sort of undermine your offensive coordinator at that point. Uh, so I don't think we'll see it, but I do agree that not everything that happens is all Harold manipulate. I mean, uh, Helton manipulating everything. And for everyone, you know, upset about, you know, Jack Sears and messing with Jack Sears or whatnot. I think naming a true freshman number two and then going back on that would be worse. You know, yeah, 100% would be worse. That is building up a guy's confidence for no reason and then just shattering it. Um, if Keaton Slovis is not the quarterback, it should be because he's ineffective or he's hurt. Yes. Not be, not because you decide Matt Fink uh, is the better option because you had that opportunity to decide that already and you already decided he wasn't, according to you, right? If you're, if you're Helton and Harrell. So that's the situation there. Um, and in terms of, yeah, we you might not be able to blame Clay Helton for these things because Graham Harrell has control here, but... The buck still stops with Graham. I mean, with with Clay Helton because he's the head coach, so he's gonna get the blame uh, no matter what. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and get some more emails. You've got mail. All right, let's go to an email we got from Stevo. Uh, dear Michael and Alicia, Michael's take last week on the August 29th podcast about misguided fan reaction to the naming of Keaton Slovis as number two was, I'm sorry, his worst take in the last at least six months. Michael said, Jack Sears is the fourth guy on the depth chart. Yeah, he should look elsewhere. And it's not a crime to tell Jack Sears to look elsewhere. He continued, quote, if SC goes down to the second or third string quarterback, more than likely there will be more things wrong with this team than just at quarterback. What? Well, it's true that there technically are more things wrong with this team than just at quarterback. A, that's not why JT Daniels is out. And B, this does not need to be the case. Just ask Stephen Mitchell. Guys go down with ACL tears all the time. And not just because their team is a mess. Here's my take. Tell me your thoughts. A more veteran offensive coordinator would have done things differently. Believing that JT was clear number one, he could have said JT was number one and Matt, Jack, and Keaton will be listed as an or to allow them to vie for the number two spot over the course of the season. But when a Harrell listed Jack Sears as four, you knew Jack would leave, as any self-respecting competitor would. Another strategy could have been to actually list Keaton as number four, since Keaton would certainly not transfer as an incoming freshman, but allow all three backups to get some playing time. Then, in a situation like the one we now face, Harrell could have all three compete for the starting position, or perhaps throw in Matt or Jack, because they have more experience. Jack certainly would have stayed on the team in either case. As it stands now, Harrell and Helton will practically have to beg Jack to return the team. You can't go into the Stanford game with only two scholarship quarterbacks, especially when the starter is a true freshman who, quite frankly, looked a little fragile and nervous in his first game, as would any true freshman. Final verdict, wrong play by by Harrell and bad take by Michael. Thanks for letting me vent, Steve-O. All right, so I got a lot to to reply here. The first thing, in regards to Sears specifically, I isn't honesty a good thing? Like, if Sears isn't meeting the criteria that 
Helton and Harold laid out, then they shouldn't have kept Sears in the dark about that. Like, I don't know that they told him to transfer. I'm not saying that they did. I'm not going to speculate that. We don't know anything. Neither side has said the case so bluntly. But, you know, I still stand by the idea that it wouldn't be a crime to tell Sears or really any player that they might want to explore their opportunities if they'd like to see the field. That's not being reckless with your roster. It's being honest with your players. These are the guys that you recruited. Look at Pai Young, for instance. He was never going to see the field at USC. That sucked for him. He's a good kid. Like, he came all the way across from Miami. He deserved an opportunity somewhere. So if I was a coach, I would have totally outright told him, dude, you might want to transfer to find something that fits for you because, unfortunately, we, we can't provide that, right? So I think the same thing happens with Sears, especially because, like, the odds are extremely low that you would ever need a fourth-string quarterback. You might as well be the good guy in that situation, especially if you're Clay Helton and... That's your strength, right? Clay Helton's strength is being good guy Clay Helton. I don't see a problem with that. Um, as to the other idea that, you know, that I, I don't think it's about a literal assessment that other things must be wrong. So who cares, you know, who your, your fourth string is and whatnot, but more so like we're talking about the game of football. If you go down to your third or fourth string quarterback, your season has gone to absolute hell. The football gods have struck you down. Like even having to go back to your backup quarterback like USC is in is super unfortunate. But going to a third or fourth string is ridiculously unlucky. Like you can't live in fear of that or be expected to have like some foolproof plan to combat it. To me, it's like walking around being scared of having cancer all the time. Like, yeah, cancer might happen. A lot of us are going to get cancer, unfortunately. People that we love are going to get cancer, and that freaking sucks. But it, you can't be worried about it every single waking hour of your day because that's just a possibility that's not in your control. And going down to the third or fourth string based on injury is not necessarily something that's in your control, especially with an ACL tear that could happen on literally any play, even if a guy isn't even touched. So I don't think any team should be expected to reliably win games with a third or fourth string quarterback any team like the 2014 Buckeyes are like an absurd exception not the the norm in that situation that said I think that if you're SC you're kind of in a good spot right because like I've said all offseason if the quarterbacks really don't matter it's all about the system that's kind of a good good contingency plan to have right because if the system does its job if Graham Harrell does his job as job as an offensive coordinator, the quarterback should not matter. That's obviously putting a lot of faith in Graham Harrell, and we still need to see how that plays out. But I don't think that that's extreme here. Um, and the last thought about not naming a number two, I think that this week shows exactly why that was a good idea. Um, because you need to have a number two and need to have a situation where you know who your starting quarterback is this week. If USC didn't do that, they would have guys splitting reps all week. Can you imagine having three quarterbacks splitting first team reps against Stanford? Uh, Alicia, you were complaining about people splitting reps in like the second week of fall camp. Yep. You don't want to have you don't want to have those guys splitting reps the week against Stanford. You want to be prepared. You want to have everything set up. So in a lot of ways, I think it's played out well for Clay Helton that and, and Graham Harrell that they had a plan that was perfectly laid out and they've stuck to it. 
We can completely disagree about who those guys are and who, what the order is. I certainly, like I said before, like I would have had Matt Fink number two probably. Do I think it matters in the end of the day? No, but I would have probably had Matt Fink two and Keaton Slovis three or four or whatever. But it's, I think it's a good idea that there was that order because now they can just go down that order in a plan. And I think that it shows, you know, transparency here. I completely agree with everything you just said there uh, very eloquently. The only thing I'll add is that I am very bored of the Jack Sears discussion, mostly because here's a scenario that I'm going to throw out in, in, in people's head. Let's say USC put JT Daniels number one, Jack Sears number two, Keaton Slovis number three, and Matt Fink number four. And Matt Fink decided to transfer. And everything played out exactly as it's played out, with JT Daniels going down injured right before halftime and Jack Sears coming in to be the starting quarterback. Would anyone be sending in an email or, or a tweet or a voicemail or anything like that to us or any other podcast out there saying that Graham Harrell and Clay Hilton need to go on their knees, crawling back to Matt Fink to convince him to come back to this team? In that context, no. No. No one is saying this if it's Matt Fink, who's number four and he's transferring. No one is saying this if it's Keaton Slovis and he's number four and he's transferring. No one is concerned about the number of quarterbacks the USC has. Maybe there's some slight concern about the, the numbers. It's not very good. But no one is out there like freaking the hell out saying that, 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 that Harold needs to beg for, for this quarterback to come back. It's just not the way it would work. I'm, 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 I'm with you. If, if USC, um, USC determined that JT Daniels was number one, they determined that Keaton Slovis was number two, they determined that Matt Fink was number three, by the way. And if you got down to a situation where you lost not only JT Daniels, but also Keaton Slovis, and then also lost Matt Fink, then you've just been real unlucky and you go, you, you live your life with your, with your walk on. But I'd like to point out that this century, this century has USC ever gone down. USC has gone down to the third string quarterback once this century. That was Jack Sears once. This century. And it probably goes back even further because I don't remember anything before 2000, 2001. So again, I'm, I'm totally with you. You can't walk around like building in contingency plans for having your fourth string quarterback have to play football. Like, no. And it, and it especially annoys me because no one would be talking like this if Matt Fink was fourth string. No one, except maybe me who likes Matt Fink, but no one else would do it. Yeah. And which is, Crazy, too, because you look at Matt Fink. Matt Fink was arguably the most successful USC quarterback last year. I mean, uh, he, he was in I'm there saying. for, what, three drives. Those three drives netted two touchdowns and a field goal attempt. Yeah. I, I, Better than anyone else. I'm, I'm, just, but, I'm just saying, people are leapfrogging the heck over Matt Fink at this stage. And I'm just sitting there going, like, guys, like, like I would have Fink be USC starter in a heartbeat and be perfectly comfortable with that. Yeah, and in terms of the third string quarterback, I can't think of a situation in which ever, ever, Be USC ever had a third string quarterback outside of last year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 97, I know that Quincy Woods got time, but he never started a game. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, let's go to a question we got from Dave. Uh, if Clancy can't stop the jet sweep in this game, can we officially start calling for his job? I don't necessarily think it's the jet sweep. I think it's the reverse. I think it's any misdirection at all. That's what 
Clancy Pendergast has struggled with. The the good thing though was I thought last year they were really good against Traverses, so maybe they will be really good against them again. But they weren't good against Misdirection in Week One. Yeah, I I think we know what Clancy Pendergast defense looks like, and I think it is what it is. So yeah, nothing will surprise us. I think. It is it is what it is. It'll be a great defense if you average 45 points a game. Yes. Yeah. You'll be more than fine. Yes. You put that defense with Oklahoma's offense last and year. And they're doing fine. Yeah, maybe they're beating Alabama, who knows. I don't I don't know. Maybe it's I don't know extreme, if I'd go that right? far, but, but yes, they they'd win a lot sure. of games. But they'd get in the playoff, yeah. right? Like yeah. with Alabama's offense. You just need to get to that offense. <laughs> yeah. I wish that was a historic offense. So, that's crazy. Uh let's go to Dave's next question. What do we need to do to unleash Okay, so I asked Clancy Pendergast about this on Wednesday, and uh, I asked him about EA's performance and also, you know, what he can do to help EA because he said basically he just got a little overzealous and he took bad angles as a result and he missed some tackles as a result, but that he his effort was good and his uh, intensity was good. It's just that he was overzealous. So I asked him, well, you know, how do you reel that in? How do you how do you get him into the right positions and everything? And he said, you know what, one thing we can do is we can sort of line him up a little bit further back, give him a little bit more time to survey the field and, and, and see what's going on. So maybe that's how they unleash EA. They, they tell him, you know, take a step back so that when you're then hitting, choosing your hole, you're, you're, you're maybe a step, you're, you're fast enough to make up that ground. Um, but maybe you'll see more as a result. Uh, also, uh, talking to EA himself, he said, you know, first game back. Still getting in the groove of 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 uh, of timing tackles, all that kind of stuff. Maybe you sort of have to hope that was just first game jitters, and that uh, he'll settle down in game two. Yeah, you would hope because he showed so much promise last year, and there's a lot of stuff riding on him uh, for sure. Uh, we're gonna have to see if he can get better in week two, and as the season goes on. Dave's next question: Tight ends certainly blocked better. But are we going to throw them the ball up the seam against Stanford? I sure hope so. I Everything about this offense we've been told is the opportunities will come when the opportunities present themselves. So that's that's my only answer that I can give is the tight end up the seam will be thrown when the tight end up the seam is the best way to attack a defense. Same with tight ends on a little hook. Uh, when tight ends of the red in the red zone, tight ends of the goal line, those things will present themselves when the defense leaves the door open for those things to 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 happen. In theory, yeah, I'd like to see them get Josh Follow involved as a pass catcher. I think that would be a good development for USC, uh, especially for Keaton Slovis. You want to have a tight end you can rely on, uh, and having two in Eric Cromenhoek and Josh Follow would be a nice uh safety blanket for Keaton Slovis. Let's go to a tweet we got from Anthony. Elijah Vera Tucker looked really strong against Fresno State. What have you seen from his development and how they match up against Stanford? I've liked Elijah Vera Tucker going back to last year. Um, I think that he is one of USC's more promising offensive linemen, so I wasn't really surprised to see him out there doing quite well uh, in the starting role. And uh, how he matchups against Stanford, I, I don't see why he, he wouldn't match up against Stanford. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I can get more detail than that but i can't remember if he played against stanford last year yeah i think it'll be just fine like we've said many times over i think individually i really like every single one of usc's offensive linemen it's just about collectively how they do and they 
fared pretty well in week one. So I would feel pretty confident in this offensive line going forward. It's just a matter of doing that every single week. One thing that I, I kind of like, I think Elijah Vera Tucker and Austin Jackson both have benefited from being next to each other all offseason and being able to, to build up some chemistry there and also having Brett Nealon in between with Elijah Vera Tucker between Brett Nealon and Austin Jackson and being able to really settle in between that that three on that side of the line. And they, I think they, they gel well. Now, would you say that's the strong side, left side? <laughs> exactly. Let's get to a tweet we got from Foley. How has Stanford done versus other air raid offenses in recent years? I want to read off the stat line that uh, Minshew had last year for Washington State against Stanford. He was 40 of 50, completing 80% of his passes, a season high, for 438 yards, three touchdowns. Passer rating of 173.38. They beat Stanford 41-38. I want to say on a late field goal that Minshew carved him up at the end. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. The only the only hiccup with that comparison is that USC isn't running Washington State's air raid. Uh, Graham Harrell's air raid is a is a is a touch different. Not just because Graham Harrell will run the ball a hell of a lot more than Washington State, but he's also in, incorporating other sort of air raid elements. So. It's hard to kind of do the straight comparison, but yeah, I mean, that, at the very right. least, at the very least, that's example A of how pass first air raid offense, air raid concepts did against Stanford. It's encouraging. Yeah, the Cougars have won three straight, uh, including uh, in 2016, they beat him down 42 to 16. There you go. Uh, and in, in that game, uh, Luke Falk, 30 of 41, 357 yards, four touchdowns. Two picks. Now, the big question is, Gardner Minshew, Luke Falk, excellent air raid quarterbacks. We're about to find yeah. out can, where can Keaton, Keaton Slovis, Slovis get there. there. Yeah, yeah, that's the question, especially in his first start Yeah, against Stanford in a rivalry game, all that kind of stuff. So we'll find that out. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Scourge. Will the defense adjust to stop the run? I don't think they were adjusted not to stop the run. I think USC's goal last week was to stop the run. Their goal was to stop the run inside and take away Ronnie Rivers. They absolutely did that objective, checked off 100% gold star, great. They couldn't do it on the perimeter, uh, which is a different story. And I think that what you said about talking to Chad Kay, Alicia, was kind of that point where if you're Chad Kay, you're like, yeah, I'm super happy with what what you did against Ronnie Rivers. It's just a matter of... What did you do against the keepers? What did you do against everything outside? And that's where SC struggled. Yeah, and that's the advantage USC has this week is I, uh, you know, I don't think that Stanford is going to do the same things that Fresno State tried to do with the zone read. And uh, KJ Costello can scramble. I don't know how mobile Davis Mills is, uh, but I, I, I imagine he's not uh, as as elusive a quarterback as Jorge Reina turned out to be. So... We've yeah. been wrong on that before, obviously, but uh, it's we'll a, be wrong on that again. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a different uh, different kind of equation. Yep, uh, let's go to a tweet from KM. Will Alicia have a heart attack by the end of the 2019 season? She has to watch ten more USC games coached by clueless Clay Helton. <laughs> I don't know if it's a heart attack. I might just sort of fall into a deep and dark depression, like I did at the end of by the end of last year. I was just like. Oh, how am I going to get through each of these rewatches? It was, it was, it was pessimistic. Alicia is out in full force. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a dark, dark place, dark place last year. So hopefully, hopefully it's not that depressing. Uh, by the you know a few a few weeks in here, but 
At the very least. At the very least. Uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see. All right. Uh, last question comes from Life of Gap. How come they haven't rotated any of the wide receivers in the last game? We kind of touched on that. Uh, so we'll go to the second part. For someone who supports Manchester United and USC, should you just skip uh, and give up on sports this year? Um, the, the answer might be yes. You're talking to a Liverpool fan and a Chelsea fan, of course. So, uh, you know, maybe not the best people to ask this advice for, but I mean, the one thing that I am looking forward to is being able to watch Liverpool play. I'm, I, I, I have much more fun watching Liverpool than I do watching USC at this point. Uh, if I was Manchester United fan, uh, that would be pretty rough but you could always do like i do where you sort of find some sort of parallel uh transference thing that you game that you can play between united and and usc and maybe that'll be entertaining for you yeah i don't know what the soccer game is that you're discussing i've i i think they're taking the year off i heard that the english premier league just yeah wasn't <laughs> it wasn't being sponsored this year yeah I think yeah. it's probably like a thing with like Brexit or something. Must so. be. Must be. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 Chelsea life. Yeah, I, I mean the I, league I there, there are I haven't heard anything. The, the the EPL has turned into La Liga where there's really only two teams to pay attention to, so. I I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> to be honest. I just haven't heard anything. Um but anyways, uh that'll wrap it up. And yeah, I haven't heard about Narbonne either. Just yeah, no, we're, no clue. No no mention of the uh former uh state champions and all that. Uh, former. Those titles don't go away. Okay. Well. Uh-huh. Maybe. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't give the LAUSD any ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyways. Uh. That's that's where we're gonna we're gonna cap this thing. Uh. We'll be back tomorrow with our pregame Q and A over on the Patreons. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy is where you can listen to that. If you are a patron, if not, now it's the perfect time. You just sign up. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Five fifty-five a month, you get all of our bonus coverage. You help support the show. Uh, for ten bucks, you get to join our Slack channel. In addition to all that stuff, uh, so it's super fun. You get to join the Rot Crew and have a grand old time uh, with our little community. Patreon.com/slash Rain of Troy. The underrated part about the uh, the Rot Crew, which unfortunately I don't really get to participate on game days because the Wi-Fi at the Coliseum on the field is still very not good. Um, but the game day chat, you guys look like you had a lot of fun in the game day chat. Uh, and, and I know last year that was very fun, but you get to be more active in there because you actually have internet connection and a computer in front of you. Yeah, but it's, you and I were talking and <laughs> friend of the pod, Keely Yor is going to kill me for saying this on the drive home, uh, <laughs> to, to the studio, um, that I have such sensory overload during a game. I'm doing so on. many things and then it's so easy to I'm I'm in the Rock Crew Slack channel. I am tweeting out from the Reina Troy account. I am writing articles like wrote the JT article that he got hurt. I was writing the recap. So the f- whole fourth quarter, I'm barely tweeting at all because I'm writing the freaking recap. So I feel like I missed part of the game there and had to catch up on that more so in the re in the, the rewatch. And then you add in the the whole idea of like I'm responding to people's questions on Twitter. I'm responding to Slack messages. I'm responding to my dad complaining to me in text messages. 
Like there's a million things going on. Uh, it's really difficult. I don't know how the hell people do it on, on, oh, and I'm creating the graphics for the score for the quarter scores. So there's a million things going on, but, uh, the, the Slack channel was, was jumping and we got to decide <laughs> we have both a game chat and just the general room and both of them were, we're, uh, were, we're going hopping. off pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. So we might have to, we might have to like just merge them all into one. So. I think but we created it's a fun the, time. I think we created the game chat for like basketball games that were happening that people were having like conversations, but yeah, I don't know. We would just all go in the Game of Thrones room, which has been empty since <laughs> that ended. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of British things that are just no longer a thing anymore. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that's one. Uh, anyways, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Give us your emails about questions about from the game or whatnot. Reign of Troy at fanside.com. Send us a question if you want to advertise with us or anything. And our phone number, 213-373-1872. That is the phone number for the rant line. Put it in your phone now. Give us your calls during the game. Uh, until next time, Alicia, give us a final word. The final word is hopping, as in the Slack channel was hopping on Saturday night. Sure, that works. All right. I'm going to hop into bed as soon as we're done recording this, because it's very yeah, late. It's, it's <laughs> 1.30, so yeah. it, it's been a long day. We'll talk to you in the car cast. Until then, see ya. See ya. See ya. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.